Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week by Nick. You may know him as Brooklyn Joker 90 on Twitter. And producer JL, John Luke Shapiro, is with me as well. On this week's show, plenty to cover with the trade deadline looming just a week away. Matt Rempe's sanity has taken over New York City, not just uh, the NHL, but the sports world at large. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, Rangers on a 10 and one heater through the month of February. And we'll see if that continues into March, but there are some reasons for concern as well. Uh, the guy who wears number 93 chief among them. So we'll get to all that. A couple of questions as well. Uh, Nick JL, how are you fine gentlemen doing on this Thursday night as we record for a Friday release of the pod this week? I couldn't be better. I mean, Rangers went 10 and one in February. I went three and oh at the garden this past month over 500 now for the year. So I'm thrilled. I'm sitting pretty. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Uh, I had a pretty good uh, track record at uh, Madison square garden along with uh, the Prudential center and also uh, MetLife stadium, which uh, you know, <laughs> it turned out to be a pretty good game if you hadn't figured it out by now, but I'm doing all right. Rangers are doing well. I have the biggest smile on my face. Just thinking about it. So can't wait to see what happens uh, later on. 21 and seven at home this year, guys, which I think is, is awesome. Obviously Um, that's crucial to building a, a winning season, a season where you are, you know, challenging for first place overall in the league. Uh, The Rangers are the first team to 40 wins. They've done it in 60 games. Um, So, so obviously lots of impressive um, things happening. You know, as we mentioned, 10 and one in the month of February, the only loss on the road to the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they very quickly avenged that loss on Wednesday night with a pretty solid four to one victory. Uh, they were absolutely the better team through two periods. Columbus had a had a really big push in the third, uh, but Igor Shesterkin stood tall. He's been lights out in February. Uh, I think he's seven and zero and was seven and zero in the month uh, save percentage up in the nine forties. His, his overall save percentage is nine eleven for the year now. So. Lots of good stuff, uh, and maybe that's the best place to start is the goalie. Um, and you know, Nick, what what are you? What are your thoughts here on Shesterkin? And I guess maybe we'll we'll put it this way: Were you worried at all? And uh, how are you feeling now? Um. So I I remember I was I was on with you guys a couple pods ago, and we had talked about like what we wanted to see going into the second half after the All Star break and. My biggest thing was was Igor returning to form. And one of the things was I, I, I had said that Igor's built up enough equity with me so far in his career that I wasn't going to worry about him until I saw it become an issue, you know, throughout the second half. And just like I felt he would, he's riding the ship, and he's right back on course. And, you know, that now with the Rangers looking a little bit worse defensively than they did in the first half, they they have Igor back there now cleaning up their mess, which you don't want to want to see them rely on, but it's good to know that he can do it again. 
Yeah, JL, were you, I mean, I'll, I'll admit I was worried, right? And, you know, obviously it seems foolish to say it now, but this guy was the backbone of the team and he was being outplayed by Jonathan Quick to the point where everybody from fans on Twitter to Steve Valaket <laughs> were advocating for more Jonathan Quick starts. And now, you know, Valaket's now sort of couching that and saying, well, I just wanted that to, you know, basically to make Igor mad, to sort of snap him back into mm. a, a competitive zone. And I'm like, all right, Steve, I, that's not how I read it when he first said it. But, you know, all that being said, there, there were legitimate concerns. And uh, it's good to see that those concerns are are pretty much put to bed. But, um, yeah, JL, just your thoughts on Igor the, the last month of the season and, and how he's righted the ship here. Well, I won't lie to you. You know, uh, there there was definitely a concern. You know, you you just watch, you know, his positioning, you know, especially, you know, with his glove. That was really the big, you know, the the really big glaring hole that he was, uh, you know, kind of showing. And, you know, it, 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 you know, also it was all mentioned that, you know, the Rangers defense didn't exactly help, you know, when he was struggling. So it kind of was a mix between, you know, kind of not trusting his glove, not being as aggressive as he should be. And, um, you know, the defense kind of like letting him down. So it kind of, it kind of became this sort of amalgamation of uh, factors. But I think what ended up happening was, is the, the Rangers ended up winning right before the break. They go to the all-star break. They kind of get that reset. And then, you know, it's vital to remember that Igor didn't play the first two games after the break. You know, it was Jonathan Quick. And, excuse me. And um, I think just that getting back into the groove, you know, in a familiar territory after a break kind of calmed him down because now he just looks like the Igor that we know and love. So a lot of people tend to forget goalie is a very mentally draining position. And it's also just mm -hmm. exciting too, if you've ever even played hockey at some form of another. So clearly it seemed like everything was kind of falling into place now. And then it also helped that the Ranger defense ended up, you know, kind of getting a bit better in the process. So then, you know, those worries kind of got out of the way. I was worried, yes, but I wasn't too overly concerned, you know, if that makes any sense. You know, it just sucks. To, it sucked to see him struggle like that. But you just kind of always knew in the back of your head that this was only just a speed bump. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you both mentioned it. So let's talk about it a little bit. The, 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 the team defense and really the team level performance over these last 11 games has been really fascinating because, look, they're 10 and one. And I don't want to argue with that, especially because. This is in the um, this is in the uh, immediate aftermath of a 25 game stretch where, I mean, they countless times outplayed their opponent. We're putting up 40, 50 shots, you know, 80, 90 shot attempts, and losing the game. Right. So uh, there's that, which I think is very valid. Right. And, and you can make the case that February was just evening those uh, those two months or month and a half's worth of games out. That said, I'm a little alarmed at this. And, you know, look, I don't want to go too deep into, you know, the uh, the fancy stat stuff. But, you know, at this point, I think stuff like expected goals, it's 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 talked about in pretty much all mainstream hockey media. Right. So I, I pulled this up on on natural stat trick, which is where I generally go for for these sorts of stats. Um, here's the Rangers across the board in the month of February uh, on kind of those key metrics. Right. So their Corsi percentage, right? Just their shot attempt share is 45.44%, right? So below 50. Their Fenwick percentage, 45.6%. Their shots, right? So straight up shots on goal percentage, 453 
Now the goals for interesting, right? They're they're they they've scored 61% of the five on five goals. Again, these are all five on five stats. Um, expected goals percentage 42. All right. Uh, scoring chances, 44% high danger chances, 42%. Um, yada, yada, yada. I think you guys get where I'm going now. Save percentage 95.38% at five on five. That is, I believe tops it is in the national hockey league over the last month of the season. So, uh, and to put it just in, in kind of wider context, that expected goals percentage is good for 28th in the NHL. Only the Ducks, Blues, Sharks, and Blackhawks have been worse uh, since February 1st. So I think what I'm getting at here, guys, is yes, there is some of this is just things that evened out, right? They, they, they weren't getting puck luck in December and January. Now they're getting it in February. But also they're getting outplayed for large stretches of game. I mean, I, I would say that you know, for as good of a win as uh, Wednesday night's, uh, you know, 4-1 victory over Columbus was, I was watching that third period and I was I was pretty disappointed. Uh, you know, they pretty much did not have the puck. I think Columbus was out shooting them 11-2 to at one point. You know, yes, Columbus is a young, hardworking team. They've got some talent. They've been trending in a positive direction in terms of their scoring chance numbers lately. So, so that's all fine. But, you know, what you don't want to see and what, what I know people flash back to uh, often is the AV years, right? Where the team would get a lead and then they would turtle. They would not attack. They would not be able to have any puck possession. You're relying really heavily on your goaltender. And I think we've seen that over the long haul, that's not really sustainable. And certainly in the playoffs, when you're going to be facing even more desperate teams and more talented teams, it's really not a way to win a Stanley cup. So all of that said, do you guys think I'm crazy for even being concerned about this? Do you think it'll level off? Or do you think this is, there are legitimate team level issues here beyond the goaltending? There, there's definitely something to it because it, it, you know, for, you know, if it's one or two games, you know, you kind of write it off on, it becomes a continuous habit, which this has become. You have to start paying attention and noticing it. So I am definitely worried about their their level of comfortability when they do get a lead, especially because it, it's kind of like having Hank back there where it's like, well, we know we can we can sit back a little bit because the goalie will bail us out. So, we you know, we can sit on the lead a little bit. So having that great superstar – and this is where, like, a lot of teams I know are against having – well, not against, but – they don't prioritize goaltending because it, there is, I, I do believe it creates an attitude of, well, the goalie will save us. So mm -hmm. we, we can rest on our laurels a little bit. I think that's such a great point. I think it's one of the things that frankly doesn't get talked about enough. Nick is like, there is, you know, something to, and then you also, the, another added layer to that is you have Shesterkin himself has come out in the media and said, like, I'd rather face more shots. Like he says, I'm more comfortable when I get more work. And I'm like, all right, well, I understand that. Like, that makes perfect sense to me. Trust me. Like, I I'm sure it's not easy to go 10, 12, 14 minutes without seeing a shot. And then, you know, the next thing you see, especially if it's an odd man rush or a breakaway or it's a bunch of power play chances, absolutely. But that's a slippery slope, right? I mean, you don't want to get into exclusively counterattack hockey, right? So it, it is a balance. Um, you know, look, I think there are some players and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Mika specifically a little bit later because there is a question about him. But uh, there are some players to me and JL, I don't know if you feel this way, but like that just haven't looked comfortable all year in this in Laviolette system. 
and I'm not blaming Laviolette here. I just think it's a natural thing where you get a new coach and there's different tactics. And we know that Laviolette does change things up in terms of coverages and four checks and things like that. But Meek is one of the guys that hasn't looked comfortable. Jimmy Vesey hasn't looked comfortable. Uh, he didn't look comfortable early in the year and he, he doesn't look uh, good the last five or six games. Will Cooley's game has leveled off. Ryan Lingren's game, if you look at his underlying numbers, has has kind of gone into the tank. He's kind of like a little bit of, you know, kind of entering the Dan Girardi zone a little bit. Um, but even, and his partner hasn't been that great either. Um, so, so there is, a, there are, like I said, a handful of guys who, who to me just haven't looked comfortable this season. And, you know, now it's a question of like, look, yes, the trade deadline may, may solidify some of this. And, you know, if you get a top line right wing that complements Meek and Kreider, hopefully they're a little bit more consistent. You know, maybe they do look at a depth defenseman. Maybe that, you know, that third line center can stabilize the Cooley line. But um, yeah, JL, any thoughts about, you know, why, you know, the Rangers seem to be a little bit less in control of the tempo of the game? Because remember, the thing that we absolutely loved in October and November was, you know, this team was was not only winning, they were dominating games. You know, they were out shooting their opponent. They were, again, dictating play. Um they were locking teams down. They were winning games two to one. And then they were winning the track meet style games too. that, you know, no, they were afraid of no game. So um, that doesn't seem to be the, the the case right now. It seems more like, you know, they've gotten some leads. They've held on. They've had a couple of furious comebacks, i.e. the stadium series game. So it's just been a little bit inconsistent, I think. Well, I, it's something I've been trying to wrap my head around all year, you know, um, it's it's strange. I wouldn't call it concerning. It's more strange because um, you try to, you know, normally the answer is pretty black and white in most instances. You know, for example, like Panarin didn't do well in Galant's system because it was too free, you know, too free roaming. Or, you know, this person, you know, Gabrick didn't really, you know, even though Gabrick did thrive, Gabrick wasn't really guy of a guy, you know, that would fit in like a Tortorella system. So there was always kind of that black and white answer, but when you look at like Laviolette's system and the way that the team has kind of, you know, catered to a lot of the skill in many aspects, it is very strange to see a lot of these guys who performed very well last year kind of just not look comfortable. And, you know, I mean, granted, you know, we're, we're kind of speaking on a different level of uncomfortable here because obviously the Rangers are, you know, one of the best teams in the league. And even in their shortcomings, they're still better than, you know, 95% of the league. So, you know, we're definitely speaking from a different point of view. But, you know, us being fans of a New York team, we're expecting excellence all the time. And when we know that there is a player out there who can get, who's given that you know, excellent, you know, that type of excellence, like, you know, make us advantage ad and like a Ryan Lindgren, you know, you, you tend to become worried. Um, I personally think it's still the system. Um, even though I think they should have gotten used to it by now, but it just kind of seems as if, you know, uh, Kreider, I think has a bit more of a handle on it. It also helps that he just has ridiculous speed. So that kind of helps in his own, you know, in his, in his own, uh, case, but with Mika, you can just kind of tell he's still trying to find his spot on the ice. And, you know, he's definitely shown flashes this season and he's, his play has gotten slightly better. And obviously we'll touch on the big thing, you know, that really hasn't, you know, come about since, you know, last, uh, last year, but you know, it's kind of like, you know, is is this who he is for this year? 
you know, what could possibly be done, you know, and like you said, maybe that maybe the trade deadline ends up, you know, really stabilizing this team, because I think a lot of the performances really ended up cratering uh, once, you know, they really lost Heedle and lost Fox for a bit. So yeah. it's kind of like the, like how long is that adjustment period from that November game to now? And, uh, Will the new acquisitions, because we all know Drury's going to definitely have to make some moves, will these new acquisitions end up kind of helping that indirectly? You know, so I, I'm just more confused by it. You know, like early in the I season, agree. like I said, yeah, it was early in the season. It was like Braden Schneider was having some trouble, but he's kind of, you know, gotten the gist of it. So it's it's just really strange to me. I mean, you bring up a great point too there, JL, just about the, the heatle injury really throws the depth of this line it really it's it's probably really one of the three centers right even with Zabanajad having a, a down year you know if you lose uh, the strength of this team is down the middle because because Trocek has proven to be I mean what a signing you know now we, we're looking at that signing now you know in, in his second season and sure you know we'll see how the contract ages as we move through years you know three four I think it's a six-year deal right um mm-hmm. So years four, five, and six, I think, are really where, you know, some questions may pop up. But, you know, losing a, a top center, one of your top three centers, when you are built to be strong down the middle, is, is tough to sustain. Now, Johnny Brodzinski deserves a, a ton of credit for the way he stepped in and performed, but he's not Filipino. And I think it's, you know, it's not controversial to say that. Um, and there's a reason why the Rangers have been, you know, very publicly, uh, for as public as they can be, uh, shopping for a third-line center. So. Um, that's a great point. I think Fox's injury certainly hampered his ability to get back up to speed. You know, if he was kind of getting there when he did get hurt. Um, and look I, again, it's not my goal here to be, I'm not trying to be a Debbie downer on a 10 and one winning, you know, uh, streak here. Like the Rangers are, are, are playing well. And, and I think, you know, you know, not to sort of, uh, you know, I'm not referring directly to it, but like the whole money puck deserved to win O-meter thing. Like they've deserved to win most of the 10 games that they did win, right? Like it's it's not like, you know, you're looking at every single game and being like, wow, they really stole that one. Or, you know, that, you know, it's like, you know, Igor was the sole reason they won a game. Now he's been incredible and that has certainly helped. But I do think it's just something that bears watching. And I think I'm just in a place where we've seen Ranger teams that profile this exact way year after year after year, right? Where it's like, well, they're not that good five on five, but they have the goalie, right? And then most Mm -hmm. recently, you know, they have the elite power play and we feel like that could be enough. And then they get into playoff series against superior opponents who are better five on five teams and they lose. And I'm not saying that's how it's going to go this year. I, there's still plenty of season left for them to, there's a quarter of a season of the uh, left for them to, solidify their five on five game. But I'm telling you right now, if you're only getting 42% of the high danger chances at five on five in most games, you're not going to win in the playoffs. You're just not. And so that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. I'll say, as we get into March here, um, Mm -hmm. Nick, any thoughts from you on kind of like the team level, um, you know, play of the Rangers. I, I honestly, I don't think they're that bad five on five. I, I don't think they're that far away. I think it's just a matter of consistency and keeping that level throughout the game and not getting lackadaisical and being like, okay, well, we have the lead so we can take our foot off the gas a little bit. That's where I think they get themselves into trouble. Because when, when like, like last night, for instance, they absolutely, I mean, 
If it wasn't for Merzlikens, that game could have been four nothing in the first period. One hundred percent. They they yeah. were they were all over Columbus. They were letting Columbus know that they're the better team and that they have no chance at winning. And you know they they were they were on track to get goalie last night. And then Igor did what Igor does, and he made some really clutch saves at big moments. And I mean, there was one last night where um, JL, you might remember the one I'm about to bring up. I can't remember who the Jackets player was in front, but he just like threw his head up and looked at the garden ceiling, like, "What do we have to do to get one past him?" And it was, yeah, yeah. I you know, remember? Yeah, I know the, exactly which one you're talking about. Yes, it was right I, in front of me. <laughs> I can't remember who the player was who did it, but it was just one of those things where I I, I thought it was really funny because. It was one of those things that I used to see uh, Hank do to opposing players for so long, where they were just like, God, what do we have to do? So it, it was just one of those – I think last night was just one of those nights where the Rangers knew Igor wasn't getting beaten, and it just kind of – you know, they were like, okay, we can ju- just relax, make the safe play, and even if we screw up here, Igor's got our back. So I, I just think for them it's that consistency and just being able to finish games because they're going to learn, especially as we go down the stretch here. I mean, Saturday night in Toronto will be against Toronto will be a great test for them because Toronto's got offensive firepower. If you have a one goal lead against them, it's not safe. So they're going to have yeah yeah. So they're going to have to bring it for sixty minutes, and if they have a lead going into the third period. They're gonna have to see, and maybe maybe that game will be good for them because you know what? Maybe they'll give up the lead in the third period because they're playing too safe, and it'll wake them up to okay, hey, game's not done. We have to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's also very true. Is you know they they are not or haven't been. I would say for a team that's gone ten and one, especially they haven't been particularly consistent within games. Right? They've had these really great stretches where they've dominated but then the stretches where they don't dominate you know they are getting dominated right it's not like it's so oh, it's kind of a 50 50 game or it's a lot of neutral zone play like it's kind of one or the other either they are completely dominant and they're throwing a ton of great chances on the opposing team in that or vice versa they're getting hemmed in shift after shift so something to to, to bear in mind and, and also look i mean the the, the reason that uh, you know i think we all like peter laviolette is you know he's the first coach I can remember in recent, you know, in, in recent memory, maybe other than Torts, right? Who I think acknowledges this stuff, right? Even when they win, if they don't play well, he, you know, he he understands the balance of process and results. So, um, and look, the, the results are great. Again, I, I I'm not trying to throw cold water on this. They're they have 40 wins in 60 games. They're 10 and one in their last 11. And like you said, Nick, great test coming up on Saturday in Toronto. Um, before we get to the questions. I do want to talk a little bit about Matt Rempe. Nick, you and I were not on the show last week, uh, so we haven't really gotten a chance to to throw our two cents in about this. But, you know, look, uh, I saw um, a photo on uh, on Wednesday afternoon before the Rangers-Jackets game, and the NHL store put two jerseys in the window. They put Adam Fantilli, who wasn't playing, right, because he's injured, uh, and Matt Rempe was also featured prominently in the NHL store window in Manhattan. So they're, they're jumping right in. There were features in publications that don't write about the Rangers unless they are in like the Eastern conference final. I'm talking about the wall street journal. I'm talking a lot about a, a lot about the Canadian media who tends to ignore 
the New York Rangers for one reason or another. So, um, you know, this became very much a, you know, a Linsanity thing. I mean, you know, they were, they were talking hockey on WFAN and ESPN New York radio uh, more than they usually would um, and posting clips about it on social media. So, you know, th- this is something that, you know, since the outdoor game has blown up. Um, and look, I mean, I think that's great. First of all, I just want to say that, you know, even if it, if because, it, you know, it, it was based on fighting and that, you know, that certainly has, um, you know, there's two sides to, to that story and, and the way people feel about fighting. It's a very nuanced conversation. Um, but I think the story of, of Rempe and the way he's come into the league is one worth telling and one worth promoting. I think it, you know, brings, uh, I think it does bring positive attention to the game. You know, I don't think, you know, this isn't like one of those things where, uh, he committed an egregiously violent on ice act and it's getting all, all, you know, attention for the wrong reasons. You know, it's kind of an endearing story about a kid who's worked his ass off to make the NHL and now he's living the dream. So, um, that said, and I know, you know, you, you might want to go this direction, Nick, so I'll lead you into it. It was good to see him play eight minutes of actual hockey on Wednesday night and not have to fight. Oh, hundred percent. I, I was thrilled to see him actually play and see what he can really bring to the table and w- what he can do. And I and I'll tell you what, he didn't look out of place. He actually looked like he has a little bit of skill to this game. Nothing, nothing crazy, but he just looks like he can be uh, a really good fourth liner in the NHL that can, you know, he'll, he'll be tough. He'll be in on the four check. I mean, that fourth line between him and Edstrom, they were creating turnovers. They were making, they were making Columbus's D crazy mm-hmm. because every time they were in Columbus's zone, they were hitting anything that moved. They were finishing checks. They, and they have long reach too, which, uh, which kills breakout passes. So I, I mean, there's there's a lot to really like about Rempe's game, and I mean, offensively, when he gets the puck, he doesn't treat it like a grenade, like a usual, you know, on here to do his fight kind of fourth liner. He mm-hmm. looks to actually try and make plays with the puck. So I, I I think once he learns that he doesn't always have to fight, that there's other aspects of his game that can really make him effective, I think he'll really become a productive member to the Rangers' fourth line. Yeah. Um, Jay, I'll get your thoughts in a second. I think just quickly on Edstrom as well, you know, he has a really good, first of all, he's a great skater. I think Rempe's a good skater for his size. Like Edstrom can actually really move. He's got a much, he's got a really fluid stride and um, mm-hmm. I'm impressed with his skating. I think he's a, a level up on Rempe. Um, he also has a really good understanding of the space around him, right? He made a couple of plays in the, in the game Wednesday night where he, you know, was able to kind of put the puck into space kind of around a defender and then go get it right. Cause he knew he had the speed on a backtracking defender to go recover. Um, you know, he made a couple of nice passes kind of, you know, through the triangle, as they say, right between the stick and the skates. Um, so his understanding of, of the space, uh, is really impressive to me for a, you know, a young kid who, who plays a kind of a heavy physical game and kind of comes with that reputation. I mean, I think Edstrom, you know, might really have legs as a guy who um, could be like a depth scoring option, you know, not just a fourth liner. I think to your point, Nick, Rempe kind of profiles as a, as a classic, um, you know, fourth liner with some, some skill to his game. Um, JL, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on overall on Matt Rempe? I absolutely love this kid. I, you cannot, you can notice him on the ice, you know, for 
obvious reasons. But, you know, for a lot of the points that you guys said, you know, he he puts himself in the right position and, mm -hmm. you know, perfectly, perfectly said to that he knows, you know, his space, you know, you know, outside of him basically murdering Nathan Bastion, which, you know, that was kind of borderline. I can understand why it was a penalty. But other than that, he's been very conscious. And, you know, obviously with the fighting, you know, it didn't really help his cause per se. It helps with the, the narrative because the kid can really chuck him. But, you know, like Nick said, it was really nice to see him, you know, play, you know, hockey without having to, you know, stay off the ice for five minutes and then maybe some more after that. Um, I was I would always say and I've said this on this podcast and I've said this privately and also publicly on Twitter as well, is that the Rangers have never really had sort of like a fourth line or kind of like a really big guy of their own outside of like maybe Brian Boyle, but that was a trade. You know, it's it you know it really mm -hmm. it doesn't really come to me when I try to think about past Ranger teams over the last maybe 15 or so years that they've really had a guy that was one of their own that they called up and he was just an effective fourth liner who had size and some skill. It's always kind of been piecemeal together. And if you look at a lot of the contending teams that the Rangers had, that was always kind of the, you know, the, you know, the same sentiment there. So now you have a guy like Rempe who ha is a good skater. And then you throw him in with a guy like Edstrom, who you also met. And I've also waxed poetic about everyone knows that Edstrom is my boy. You know, he's a, a good, a really good skater. So you put the two together and, you know, like you guys said, the size, I mean, just, you know, sitting in the stadium series game, you noticed him. He wasn't a small guy. Like, you look at, like, a, like a Gustafson or, like, a Fox, and, you know, you could kind of tell that they're kind of on the smaller side, you know, on the height size. But, you know, Edstrom and, Edstrom and Rempe, let me tell you, man, from all the way up in the 300 section up at MetLife Stadium, you can see them. So it's, you know, and it's really nice to see, you know, you know, and, you know, also the story about, you know, his father passing away, you know, uh, before he made it and, you know, him having a very close relationship with his family, you know, kind of really also helps with the narrative. And I personally think I know that this team needs a lot of reinforcements, but I personally think they can go to war. You know, if you reinforce the third line and you get yourself another winger, you know, uh, for the top line, I 100 percent believe that this team can run a fourth line of Edstrom, Goodrow and Rempe in the playoffs. Maybe Rempe can switch with somebody else, maybe like with a VC or, or you know, maybe like a Pitlick worst case scenario. But I honestly think that they can roll in the playoffs with those guys just off the sheer size alone. And if there's anything that we can describe the NHL's, you know, the, the playoffs, it's a war of attrition. So having a bigger body definitely helps. And it also helps to have a bigger body that actually can somewhat play. And one more thing. You know, you look at a guy like him compared to like a Ryan Reeves. Ryan Re Matt Rempe is pretty much what you want Ryan Reeves to do. You know, not only could he fight, but he can also move around. You know, similar to how uh, Reeves was when he kind of started. And then when he played, you know, in St. Louis, you know, he kind of had some kind of skill. But then obviously that faded away over the years. So Rempe is what you was what we basically wanted out of, you know, Ryan Reeves. Well, yeah. And to your point, it's, it's also good, you know that you don't have to import these guys, right? Because that, that just, it's, it's free agency money that could be spent otherwise. Whereas, you know, now these are in theory, you know, internal cost control solutions for your bottom six. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, my last point, like one of the things that's been amazing to watch, and there's been a couple of sequences in each game that they've played together. Uh, there are there have been, like I said, uh, multiple occasions where they've both gone to the net, like to to set a screen. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, I can't imagine what that's like for a goalie trying to look through the two of them <laughs> and find the puck. And of course, that's how uh, Rempe got his goal, right? Screening the goalie. So it went off his leg. They don't have to be pretty. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. I mean, look, I also think that to your point about the playoffs, JL, um, they both to me are like the perfect kind of change of pace guys that you can throw into a playoff series for one or two games. You know, if you, if you do want to kind of change momentum or give the other team something else to think about again, injuries, suspensions, all these things happen. So um, yeah, I, I would think they'll both be on the roster, how much they play to be determined. Um, I, all right, I could really see Edstrom being a difference maker in the playoffs. I yeah, think so, I too. I think him more so than Rempe. I would agree. I um, I think he's got that Brian Boyle in him. I like. I hope anyway. But I agree. That, that that's kind of where I could see him projecting out. For sure. Um. All right. I was going to get to the question. So, uh, we've got one from Tyler. I think we're going to save that one for last because we can kind of get into, uh, some trade deadline stuff with that. And the the second question here, the one before that, will also be trade related. But I want to go to this one first. It's from Anthony Cacchioli. Cockyoli at Cockyoli25 uh, on Twitter or X as they call it now. Um, Mika Zabanajad has not scored a five on five goal since December 23rd versus Buffalo. At this point in the season, do you think acquiring a, a, a right wing one, a top line right wing, will help solve those issues? Or is there a bigger problem with his game that's leading to his lack of goal scoring at even strength? Um, Nick, I know you were enthusiastic uh, about this question specifically. So why don't you start? Oh, I, I love this question because this this is just one of those things that um, I, I've been looking at with Mika. And, and the biggest thing that I can say is he's pressing and you can see that he's pressing. And part of his issue is he's trying so hard because he knows he's not scoring. He's trying to at least set everybody else up and he's not willing to shoot. But the uh-huh. other problem is, too, he's not getting time and space. If you notice, guys are really attacking him to try and take his shot away and force him to pass. So the teams are now, you know, because they know that he's not shooting as much, but they want to take that time and space away. Because let's face it, when Mika shoots, he can really shoot. So he's one of those guys that you don't want to see get hot because when he scores, he scores. In, he's kind of he's kind of like Ovi. When he gets hot, he really gets hot. So – it's one of those things where teams are really keying in on him to slow him down. And the biggest thing that he needs, and I wrote about this, and I know it should be coming out in the next couple of days, he needs in the worst way that right wing that can score but also has speed to back off defenses. He, The, the Rangers, if they add, and I really want them to add one player in particular, this is why I'm so against Frank Vertrano because Vertrano's a volume shooter. Mm-hmm. Mika needs that opposite wing to really help push the defense back to give him time. If he gets that, he'll start getting going and you'll see him start scoring more five on five. I, I, I just think it's one of those things where he just also has to get himself in the mindset too that he's got to let it go. and It's okay to be selfish at this point. I think he's just trying to be too unselfish. JL? 
Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. You can definitely see, you know, the thing about Mika's game is not Mika has kind of this jump when he's on his game and, you know, he just kind of is able to bulldoze his way, especially when he skates through the middle. You know, he's got phenomenal hands and that shot, like you said, is probably one of the best in the league, just like Ovechkin. Um, I'm not too overly concerned. Uh because one, the team's winning, and two, he hasn't been totally useless. You know, he's 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 done things on the power play, and you know, with the way his season gone, you're going to take what you can get at this point. And with the fact that the team is winning, obviously, you want more from your number one center, which is a completely understandable. And obviously, I want him to score more five on five. Um, but he hasn't been totally useless. Could he? Do a little more five on five, of course. You know, that's probably 95% of what the playoffs is going to end up becoming. Um, so you want to obviously see that improve, but you know, you're absolutely right, Nick. He's pressing, you know, and he just doesn't look natural out there. And whether 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 he's either fighting something, either physically fighting something mentally or both, you can just tell something's up. And again, like I said, you know, he's you know, he's still not totally useless, but again, you're absolutely right that. Uh, a winger would be, you know, of, of like a, you know, like an Anthony Duclair or the biggest pipe dream currently right now, like a Jake Gensel, you know, somebody like that, you know, that that would be ideal for that type of line because then you have Kreider who has the speed, Mika's the playmaker, and then the other winger is the one that creates the space. So, um, you know, I, it, it's just, I, I'm not trying to get too up in arms about it because the team is winning, you know, so it, it's good to see that. So it's kind of one of those things you can kind of look past, especially when he actually does produce on the power play. And I know we talk about power play merchants and all that, but, you know, what are you going to do to replace him? You know, we know the guy has the talent. You might as well just kind of let it ride and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot here. So. I mean, he, this is as bad as he's played. So Jay, I mean, I, I'm not like totally disagreeing with you. Like I, I you know, he's not useless. I, I'll agree with that. That's a very low bar for your star center, making eight and a half million dollars a year for him to not be useless. Um, this is the worst he's played. And I don't want to mince words. Like he has had long stretches of like not being able to do anything with the puck. I mean, to me, that's pretty alarming. Uh, Cause it's just not him. And which indicates to me that something might be up now, whether that's injury related or like you said, mentally, I mean, he just had a kid and you know, I've, I've have had experience with that. And uh, that is not an insignificant life change. Um, your rest, your whole world gets affected, especially your rest. Um, now look, if Becky were on the pod and I'll, I'll say it as well, like he makes eight and a half million dollars. I'm sure they could afford help, uh, especially during the season. Uh, you know, I know you want right. to raise your kid and all that, but, um, you know, they can certainly afford some help around the house with that. That's neither here nor there. The, the even the power play production to me has been there's been a lot of secondary assists, you know, there that he has not really uh scored too many of those um you know patented left circle goals lately. Obviously, gets the big one in the stadium series game, ties the game late. That's that's awesome. It was also on a six on four. Um you know, the, the, the power play at five on four has not been particularly effective. That's another kind of anomaly of the streak. Uh, the power play has gone kind of cold, uh, especially when it's been operating out of its setup. Um, 
I think what I'm, what bothers me is, you know, Mika Zibanejad is the type of player that like really shouldn't need an elite right wing. Like now, look, you definitely need the pieces to fit. You know, we saw this with with Artemi Panarin um, and the sort of quest to find him the right winger. And who knew it was Alexi Lafreniere all along. Um, You know, Mika Zibanejad is supposed to be the type of player that like is independently great uh, or at least very good. uh, If he, even if he doesn't have optimal line mates, we know him and Kreider do work well together. There have been a lot of people calling, you know, to break them up. I don't see it happening. Um, you know, I think maybe that's a slightly more viable option if Philip Hedl is healthy, right? Because if you remember, you know, Vincent Trocek was on the third line at the start of the season. They had Hedl centering Panarin and Lafreniere. Um, you know, so if you had, a, you know, a truly skilled third line center, maybe that makes sense. You know, to, you know, you put Kreider with that player, but, the, you know, they're not going to have that, you know, and, and even if they trade for Adam Henrique or Tommy Novak, um, or Alexander Winberg, like I wouldn't, I'm not messing around with Kreider and Zibanejad. I'm keeping them together. Um, you know, that said, I, I think you do bring up some really good points, Nick, about speed. That's that creates some space. Um, you know, j- just, uh, you know, the, the, the right type of player. I mean, I think the, the results have been decent with Capo Caco again, you know, that, that line tends to be very good defensively. They do get tough matchups. Um, but they don't generate a lot. And I think, you know, Kako's style of game just doesn't fit great with Zibanejad and Kreider when it comes to generating a lot of scoring chances. They don't give up much. So the metrics are going to look good. Like all that stuff is going to look good with, with that threesome on the ice. But they're not really getting a lot of prime scoring opportunities. And and I think the hesitancy to shoot the puck is glaring. Um you know, I, I think Mika, had, I think he took one shot off the rush in the Columbus game on Wednesday night, but that's all I can remember. He had, I think he did deflection uh, maybe on the power play. No, that wasn't even a shot by him. That was a, that was a pass by him and a deflection by Trocek. So, you know, for a guy who is an elite finisher in this league, you know, and I, I don't have the stats in front of me, maybe I'll pull him up, you know, next time, but he might just not be shooting the puck enough. And that's a change that Artemi Panarin made and he's having the best scoring season of his life. So, um, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, and I'll close with this though. I will close with a little bit of positivity. When you listen to this podcast, it's going to be March 1st. And we do know that Mika March is a real thing. Um, he has been absolutely lights out since 2020 in the month of March. And maybe that's what he needs. Uh, you know, as silly as it sounds, maybe he just needs the calendar to turn. Uh, the games to get a little bit bigger, right? That the spotlight starts getting a little bit brighter. You start, you start getting ready for playoffs. And that does seem to be when he is at his best. Um, so maybe, maybe, you know, I, I, I'm, I am uh, a believer at least that another Mika March is incoming. So let's hope, let's hope I'm right. Um, all right. Next question comes from, by the way, I absolutely love this, um, this Twitter handle. It's at Cosmo Kreider. So obviously a play on words. I like that. That's pretty cool, actually. Cosmo Kreider, yeah. All right. Uh, The Rangers were able to get Vetrano for cheap the first time from Florida, even though Florida was a contender, because they were trying to clear space for a bigger trade. Are there any contenders this year trying to clear space for a big trade that the Rangers might be able to take advantage of? That's an interesting question. Um and I don't know if you guys have any thoughts. I mean, the team that kind of comes to mind for me 
and they're not a contender, but they thought they were going to be, is Pittsburgh. And, you know, to me, Pittsburgh is in a situation where they kind of got bullied by Sidney Crosby, and rightfully so. I mean, he deserves it. The guy's an all-time great. But basically, he said, keep the band together, right? Sign Malkin, sign Latang. Then Dubas goes out and completes the, you know, the uh, the uh, Infinity Stone thing by getting Eric Carlson. And I don't know anything about Marvel, so that's just me trying to make a weird <laughs> reference. Uh, it fits. It fits. But he gets the yeah, final I, I, Infinity I like Stone, it. right? Uh, yeah, I think it works yeah. uh, with Carlson, and and it doesn't work. That you know the Penguins are very mediocre. I believe their chances of making the playoffs are below fifty percent as we record this podcast, and they are considering trading Jake Gensel. Now they have another player that I think would might be attainable. You know, again for for kind of this reason that. Cosmo Kreider brings up. They want to start clearing space, whether it's for a bigger trade or just a quote unquote retool on the fly. Uh, Riley Smith, Uh, Riley Smith. I know he has not had a good season. He's getting up there in age, but he is a talk about a guy who could be an absolute perfect fit next to Mika and Kreider. um, And just is the perfect playoff style player. The kind of guy that you, you know, you could totally envision trading for him and getting, you know, seven or eight huge goals in a playoff run out of. Um, and he's obviously got that experience. He's that style of player. So that's the one that came to mind for me, guys. I mean, I, it doesn't quite fit the criteria of the question. I don't know if there's anything off the top of either of your heads in, in that vein. I, I don't have a specific player in mind, but there's one team that's coming to mind. And, of course, they're in the Eastern Conference as well. The Tampa Bay Lightning. Because it, it, it sounds like they want Noah Hannafin. Noah Hannafin wants them. So I, I, I could maybe see something. You know, I could see Tampa looking to move some money off the books. You know, maybe a Nick Paul, who I, I would take in the in the bottom six for the Rangers. Um, they're one team, another team I could see because they don't have a lot of flexibility in ways of picks or prospects. But being trade partners with the Rangers would be highly unlikely. Would be the Boston Bruins. Yeah, they're such mm-hmm. a weird team to me. I, I just, <laughs> I, I have, I have, I don't know if I want to go on that tangent right now. But they are not good. <laughs> they, no, they're lost really not. Six they, games they are overtime heroes. Overtime. Yeah. Yes, the amount of extra points they've gotten, the amount of leads they've blown to then go to overtime and either win the game or, or well, they get the, they get the loser point anyway. Well, I mean, it happened again tonight against Vegas. They were up three, nothing. The game's four, four now in the third period. Yeah. I mean, they are such a fake team. You know, they lost their, they lost their generational center, their best player. And you know, you're trying to tell me that like Charlie Coyle has done the job to, to replace him. Not, not to mention they lost Krejci as well. I mean, this is just, there's such a fake team. And it's going to really annoy me if they like win a couple of rounds in the playoffs. And that's like who the Rangers have to play in the Eastern Conference Finals. I would take it because, again, I don't think they're very good. But I also don't think they deserve to be where they are in the standings right now, which is, you know, right alongside the Rangers. Anyway, I'm sorry. JL, do you have, a, do you have any <laughs> thoughts on this question? Um, one team that comes to mind that, I mean, I, I haven't looked at the standings today. Um, I, I assume they're still a contender, but I think Seattle might be uh, one of those teams. I know they might have fallen off a little bit. If I'm correct on that, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, but, they're 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 fading. Let's put it that way. They're fading. Yeah, fast. 
but they're still at least at this point of this podcast they're still considered contenders so um they are probably looking to try and possibly move you know even though there was a report that came out about possibly wanting to extend jordan eberle but i don't think you know as as dim as ron francis has been you know as a general manager i don't think he would pass up a good deal for a guy like eberle because you know he's always you know you saw it in carolina he was you know very gung-ho with trades so Seattle's one of those teams that I think the Rangers could definitely take advantage of in terms of salary. Um, you know, maybe like a guy, maybe like an Eberlay, maybe like a, even a Yanni Gord, if that, you know, uh, yep. if that ends up becoming possible, because I feel like the Rangers are really that. I feel like that's the guy that they want, like just just off a hunch. You know, I don't you know, I don't I don't have any information about that. But, you know, I just know that that's some that's somebody that would fit the bill for that team. And, and I think that with you know, Mika and Kreider, you could just throw him there and then just, you know, find somebody else to get, you know, that bottom six. Um, I'm trying to think of maybe Toronto to a degree could probably be one of those teams that maybe would they're always shed in cap hell too. Yeah. Yeah. They might want to shed some salary. I don't, I can't off the top of my head figure out who exactly, but uh, they seem like a candidate for, you know, if they really want to add more depth, they're going to let go of you know an asset that would really be able to help them so i i think oh, i just thought of one what i'm, so, I'm sorry Jay. i, I, no, I no, one, just, one just came to mind and it's one guy who is actually playing well for them but they need to offload his money um colorado and ryan johansson i was i was mm. just thinking that because i'm watching the avalanche blackhawks game right now and that's what i have on too and that's what what brought that to, <laughs> to my mind i was like ah i forgot right. about him yeah it wasn't he like not very good in the beginning of the season like people were literally talking about like this is not working at all has he kind of improved because the narrative at least early, earlier in the year i mean i haven't followed it closely was that johansson was kind of a bust there and they were waiting for him to to figure it out that, that's saying third line minutes for them, if I'm correct. Yeah. Well, that's they, it, yeah. But they want an upgrade over him. Um yeah. they they're one of the teams that's rumored to be in on Henrique, too. Mm-hmm. And um, he's only got he's only got 22 points as of before tonight. He's uh minus seven. And this is a guy that was an absolute menace down the middle for Columbus and Nashville. You know, he was you know, he he was putting up, you know, let's see. He, he's, he a, he's a one-time 30 goal scorer. Yeah. So like he, he's very enigmatic. He's a weird one. Yeah, because he had, he had 60 points. He had 71 points in 14-15 for Columbus, and he had 63 points another season as well. 63-71-60. And then he had a total... Oh, that was the that was the sixty point season where he got traded. 61, 54, 64, 36, 22, 63, 28, and 22. So he did play some of his best hockey though in Nashville for uh No, Peter he did. But there you go. So his cap hit is eight million dollars and he's got another year after this. So that's the other wrinkle here. So you'd obviously need to find you might have to do one of those three team trades where you know one team retains half and then another team retains half of that and that you know i mean it can be done they did it for patrick kane right i believe mm-hmm. um so it can be done but 
Now, it seems unlikely, but no, in the spirit of the question, that is the type of player where, you know, yeah, certainly they might, would be looking to shed that cap hit. Um, and, you know, if they want to upgrade on the position. And yeah, I mean, it's not the worst idea in the world or buy, as, a, as a buy low candidate, right? Because you, you're probably not paying that much for a guy with that type of cap hit and that low production at that age. Um, the connection with Laviolette doesn't intrigue me as well, for sure. Um, I actually would love to look at his... Uh, I was just looking at his stats as well, JL. And in the playoffs, you know, this is a guy who, um, you know, he had a 13-point playoff performance. He had a 14-point playoff performance. Uh, mm-hmm. Those were in back-to-back seasons in Nashville. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then he's he's about a point per game in the playoffs, 54 points in 67 games. So a little less than that, but pretty good scoring rate when, you know, certainly the, you know, people aren't piling up easy ones in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, interesting, interesting names. Um, uh, you know, what I'll say about the deadline is this, and then we'll get to Tyler's question and, and, uh, and have a little fun. Um, I don't really expect the Rangers to just do the thing that everybody expects them to do. Uh, they never do. Um, you know, everyone's just been screaming, screaming Henrique and Vetrano, Henrique and Vetrano, Henrique and Vetrano. And like, I don't think that's what's going to happen. If it does, fine. This will be a very boring and predictable trade deadline. And, and I'm sure those players will be helpful. <laughs> I have my doubts about whether or not they put them over the top as a Stanley Cup, uh, you know, contender slash winner. Um, I think just the way the Rangers operate and the way that these things often happen, there will be something that happens um, that is unexpected and it might be something like a Ryan Johansson or a Riley Smith or a name that's not on everybody's, you know, 15, top 15, top 20, you know, trade board type of article. So Trevor Zegris. Um, well, there you go. That would be the big one. <laughs> well, you, you basically, you know, you go back to the, the cop and Toronto trades, which, you know, at the time were brilliant, you know, because it fit, it fit exactly what the team needed perfectly. And that's the thing. And, 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 and I'll end on this. Um, that's the thing I like about Drury is that, you know, it's become very unpredictable. So it kind of gives you that extra allure. You kind of knew with like Sather and Gordon what they were going to go after, you know, so it, it was kind of obvious. You know what the Rangers need. And I think Chris Drury kind of tends to, you know, look more than what we see. Yeah, obviously the interest between Anaheim is legit because even, you know, even as as much as Vetrano is a volume shooter, you know, he wouldn't be totally awful on this team. Uh and Henrique would no, obviously help. Help. No, of course. And Henrique, you know, you know, it, it's like the safe option if you think about it cuz Henrique, mm-hmm. you know, he can play third fourth line minutes if he needs to. He's got enough skill. I know a lot of Ranger fans won't be able to get over 2012, but that was years ago. Get over it. Uh, we're better than them anyways. So, you know, that's kind of like the safe option. And also, it just doesn't help that, you know, um, a lot of what we hear kind of gets uh, the only reason why we make these speculations really is because of what we see with the beat reporters and things that they may have heard or snippets that may have heard. But, you know. Who was only who was the one guy who was the one player that you could probably say the Rangers were gonna absolutely 100% gonna get with Patrick Kane? I think last yeah. year was the only deadline that was really predictable because you know we all knew the interest in Tarasenko was real, you know, that was obvious. But then, like, you know, Patrick Kane goes out in the media and says, Hey, I don't want to play for Toronto and basically gets his trade to the Rangers. So that's pretty much it. So I can't wait. Yeah, I'm actually he- very curious. 
and even the Tarasenko trade, they also bring Mikola in. Sammy Blay goes back to St. Louis. That So the trade itself was not your classic, like, oh, it's one guy coming over for a, a pick and a prospect, right? It, mm-hmm. There was layers to that trade as well. Yeah. And Drury also tends to do that. He likes to get multiple players in a deal, which again, does lend some credence to the Henrique Vetrano uh, approach. But I don't know. I like Riley Smith's a guy for me that like, that's just, he's, that's kind of, no one said that name, but like, it makes perfect sense that Pittsburgh would want to move him. And, you know, he, they probably would be more likely to trade a guy like him to the Rangers as opposed to Gensel. But even still, you know, dealing with Pittsburgh would probably, you know, probably not realistic. Um, given the whole, you know, their division rival and they wouldn't want to strengthen the Rangers for a cup run. So mm-hmm. we'll see. All right. So on trade stuff, a few weeks ago, uh, our colleague Tyler uh, at uh, T McGillick uh, 93 on Twitter um, po- posed this question that we didn't get to. And then, you know, a few weeks went by. And so so we, we owe Tyler an answer. Uh, I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but it's basically this list your five worst trade deadlines in the time you've been a Ranger fan. I'm going to put my hand up and say, I did not do the research here and I don't have the encyclopedic memory to go back and remember, uh, you know, the litany of trades made throughout the years at each deadline. Um, Nick, I know you have a list. I would imagine since you and I are, you know, similar fans, roughly the same age that my list would be very similar to your list. Maybe I'll have one or two things to add. JL, I don't know how prepared you are for this question. Um, so let's let Nick kick it off and then we can we can kind of go from there, if that makes sense. All right. So I did this from five to one. Number five, really easy. Like slam dunk, empty net, you know. Getting Eric Stahl made no sense. Team wasn't competitive. They were not winning the cup. It was it was so annoying. Thank God Alexi Sorella never worked out because we had no prospect pool to speak of. And then one of our, you know, top prospects at that point, we sent for a over the hill Eric Stahl, who then went to Min- who AV didn't even use correctly, and then goes to Minnesota and had like a forty goal season. So yeah. it was just one of it was one of those things where it was just like, wow, that just failed on multiple fronts. Well, and also uh, there was a very cynical uh, take on this as well, which again, uh, I'll, I'll I'll speak uh, on behalf of my lovely wife here, uh, but she always likes to bring this up. They were attracted to that deal for as much the marketing angle as the hockey angle with, with Mark being on the team as well. They were like immediately putting out stuff that said like NYR family and the stall, like the stalls are brothers. It was, and it was like, truly vomit inducing it was just so <laughs> annoying and gross and it, i i mean i would have had this higher on my list nick like if i actually made a list of five this might have been two or one because this just made that 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 trade itself makes my blood boil so totally oh, agree that, that it's in it's on the worst wait till i get to two and one you'll, you'll be very upset with me for bringing these two up um all right number four the idea was right. The execution was wrong. JT Miller and Ryan McDonough to Tampa Bay. We weren't keeping McDonough. He was going to walk. You had to start the rebuild somewhere. It hurt. I, you know, if there's somehow we can get McDonough from Nashville right now to be a depth defenseman on our third pair and, you know, reduce cost, I would take him back in a heartbeat because I love Mac. Um, it just Nemestikov, 
Libor Hayek, good God. Brett Howden, just the only somewhat good thing that came out of that trade was Keandre Miller. And even that, right. the jury still out on. So th- there's just, there's nothing good there. It's all bad. You know, just all bad. Yeah, well, and I mean, the only, the, so that was the same, that was the right after the letter, right? So the only counterbalance of that trade is the is the fact that the Rick Nash trade really turned into total gold for the team. So um, that, but, but it's, you know, you'd like to not have, you know, your A plus trade balanced out by a complete disaster of a trade. And it does certainly seem now years later that the McDonough JT Miller trade was truly a disaster. And the, also the fact that they kind of had, like, they were forced to throw in JT, like JT Miller was kind of like a throw into that deal as well, which is like, obviously very annoying now because he's a point per game or more player and on a, on a contending team. And he would have fit and, perfect here. If it, and, per, then yeah. Tampa, and Tampa got a first rounder for JT from Vancouver. Right. No, I know. So we got like absolutely dog walked all over the place with that trade. It was really bad. I mean, it's just that one still hurts my soul. Um, Number three, I understand why they weren't more aggressive during this 2011 2012. The only move they made was getting John Scott. I I understand. They they didn't want to you know mess with what they had going. They had great mojo, and the old saying: if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The team needed more, and I'm not saying that they needed to get Rick Nash at that deadline. Actually, what I'm going to say is contrary to that. They needed depth scoring. They needed to go out and they needed to do what LA did and trade for Jeff Carter. That's what they needed to do, and yeah. it, it, it was. It was one of those things because that team lost because it got outworked by the Devils' third and fourth lines because outside of the Gaverick, uh, Gaverick and Richards, we had nothing else that could produce any kind of offense. So 2011-2012, terrible deadline. I hate you, Glenn Sather. Yeah, they also they called Chris Kreider out of college to come mm-hmm. and score five goals for them in the playoffs. So, yeah, no, that was how dire – the need for more scoring was. And, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, uh, I don't remember this specifically, but I know has been said about that deadline is there was less business than usual because of the impending lockout. So mm-hmm. teams were not eager to make trades because they didn't know what the landscape was going to look like in the off season and in, into the yep. 12, 13 season. So that's part of why the, I think it was a less active trade market. But that said, um, like you pointed out, Nick, LA goes and gets Jeff Carter and wins the cup. So um, there were moves to be made. Oh yeah. You know, it's just, it's finding the right one and say they didn't find the right one. Unfortunately, number two, I'm so sorry for everybody in advance for bringing this up. I didn't want to write it down and I didn't even want to think about it, but of course it came flooding back trading for Ole Jokinen. Sorry. Sorry. I mean, do uh, I even have to say anything else besides that? No. What did they give up? I don't even remember. I think that, I, I, I think that was. Hold on, I'll look that up because I I do remember that very well. Um, I think that was because uh, he was on Calgary. If I'm correct. Yes. So yep. I think I think that was. Um, if I'm correct, I might be wrong. I think that might have been the Coda leak trade. Probably not. I'm probably wrong. I actually I think that's right. I think it was a less cold leak who went the other way. Let's see. I mean, actually, the return, you know, the uh, what they had to give up isn't that bad. 
Okay, so here we go. It says Jokinen was involved. Yeah, so I was right. Jokinen was involved in the trade to the New York Rangers where he was sent with Brandon Prust in exchange for Alesh Kodalik and Chris Higgins. Oh, Chris Higgins, who didn't work out. He was That was a good uh, yeah. idea that didn't work out. Yeah. It was a good idea that didn't work. It, you know, oh, man, the, the best part of that deal actually turned out to be Brandon Prust. It's funny as that could be. Yes, but, he, was, uh, he was a key to that, one of the keys of that 11-12 team. Although, again, wasn't bringing much scoring with him, but that's neither here nor no. there. But yeah, adding old Jokin, and I'll never forgive you for you know. I think you're still doing uh, circles in your own end in the Wells Fargo Center. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Number one, this one hurts my soul for multiple reasons. Um, after Mark Messier, he was my my next favorite New York Ranger, and he's one of my top three favorite Rangers of all time. Brian Leach. Mm-hmm. Should have never been traded. Should have been a ranger for life. I'll never forgive you, Glenn Sather. I hate you so much. And then what made it even worse was one of the picks we got from Toronto in that deal. We used to take Michael Sauer, and Sauer's career ended. So for multiple reasons, and of course it happened against Toronto that Michael Sauer's against career Toronto, ended. right? Dion, Dion Phaneuf was playing I, for Toronto. It, yeah, yeah, ironically enough. So for multiple reasons, I hate the Brian Leach trade. That is the worst trade that the New York Rangers ever made at, next to Jean Rattel and Brad Park to Boston for uh, Carol Vadney and Phil Esposito. It is right there. Absolutely atrocious. Scarred me for life as a child. I hate you, Sailor. <laughs> well, yep. I I didn't I, I, I was I was just thinking about it offhand. Uh, I think you pretty much named a lot of the outside of the Brian Leach one. I think you pretty much named a lot of the ones that I was thinking about. Uh, I'll just comment on a couple of them, you know, just to, you know, because I was as you were mentioning them, I was just thinking about like my thought process at the time and, you know, what I feel about it now. So. um, So starting with the McDonough trade, um, I, I vividly remember where I was with that because I had just gotten food poisoning like a couple days prior. So when the trade happened, I had uh, like a bowl of soup that my sister had made for me. And uh, I was just like violently ill in my room. And I, I was just trying to reason with it because, you know, for but, you know, I was, you know, by that time, you know, I was a pretty young adult and, you know, the Rangers had just always been good relative to every other sports team that I root for. So it was kind of strange to see, you know, I, I just, you know, had seen McDonough in a Ranger uniform, you know, and then you see Nash getting traded and all that. So it was a little surreal to kind of see the hockey team that was so good for basically my teenage and, you know, beginning of adult life kind of fall apart. Um, Even then, I knew the trade was a little light. Um. But I, I held out a hope because if you look at the time, okay, I'm not going to say now, but if you look at the time relative to what the Rangers were looking for, right, you looked at a guy like Brett Howden who, you know, was first of all, was a lot, he was a lot better than his brother, you know, um, and he kind of fit more of what the Rangers were looking for in like a bottom six role, you know, where he could, you know decent skater could you know win face-offs and you know kind of be decent with the puck turns out he was well, he was a scorer in junior hockey too i mean he was you know right. he was considered one of tampa's best prospects so it's you know right yeah, and that's it's also why i think you're you're bringing up a good point here jl where you do how you judge a trade in the moment does matter you know even though you know with five years of hindsight sure this didn't pan out that didn't pan out it's easy to criticize right. like 
they did get a lot of volume. Now, look, the, the Hayek thing, that was the Rangers, you know, and people have made a lot of jokes now the last couple of years since they fired the entire European scouting department in the wake <laughs> of Jeff Gordon leaving. And things have seemed to improve, have improved overall in the, in the scouting department with the Rangers. Right. Um, I think they insisted on Hayek in that trade. Like that was a big part of it. And they he obviously did. turned out, he turned out to be a complete bust. And, but no, look, Howden, Howden was a highly touted prospect. Um, you know, he, he, uh, you know, again, he scored in junior. He was on that. He was on that 2018 world junior team, which, you know, obviously has, has yeah. much deeper, darker, horrible issues surrounding it now. But, right. um, and, and he was not involved in that incident. I want to be perfectly clear, but you know, look, he goes on to be a depth player on a Stanley cup champion. I mean, that's a pretty mm-hmm. good, he's a, he's a good NHLer. I mean, there, you know, yeah. wh- whatever you want to say about him, he turned out to be a good NHLer. And also look, Vlad Nemesnikov coming back. I mean, he's one of those players who's going to end up playing for 12 or 13 teams, but mm-hmm. he's a useful NHL player. So, mm-hmm. and they got two first round picks. So I agree right. with you, JL, like the volume that they got back made sense. Um, right. But the way it all panned out, it now looks like a total disaster. Right. And, you know, a lot of people at the time were insisting on Sergachev and you yeah. kind of already knew that wasn't going to happen because Steve mm-hmm. Eiserman, you know, you can already tell, you know, cause he had just started, you know, pretty much kind of making his mark yeah. on the he league. He was in the and NHL very, at that point, yeah. Right, and, you know, he's very bullish, and he wasn't just going to give up. You know, you kind of saw what Iserman was trying to build with his crew in Tampa, so they weren't just going to bend over and give up. You're not going to give up a guy like Sergachev for a guy like McDonough, even though they ended up uh, resigning McDonough. So um, Jeff Gordon definitely did get taken to school on that trade. I do know, I can see why... I can see why they did trade for Libor Hayek because Libor Hayek was a very, it, it's weird about Hayek. Phenomenal skater in juniors, right? He was, he was very good in juniors with, I think it was with Regina and I think, uh, I can't remember the other team he was with, but I recall him being on the Regina Pats. And a lot of what I saw in the replay was him stepping up, you know, similar to what Adam Fox does, except not as skilled, you know, where he was stepping up, making a lot of offensive plays. And I think that's what the draw was because there wasn't really much on the back end. You know, a lot of the back end for the Rangers at the time, if you look at it with Girardi, Stahl, McDonough, you know, uh, guys like Anton Strawman, you know, they weren't really mobile. So I think that's what they were looking for. It just so happened that he couldn't figure it out here. And it sucks because, when he came up, he was showing flashes of that skill set that got the Rangers to want to pick him up in the first place. And I recall, you know, when they were talking about the trade itself, you know, Jeff Gordon had said, well, you know, we like to keep, a, you know, just because we don't draft the player doesn't mean we don't keep a binder of information on the player. I'm like, oh, wow, you're just pretty much telling, you know, the rest of the league that you're doing your job, <laughs> you know. So yeah. that 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 trade at the time, I was, you know, I knew it was a light return. And on Domestikov's Domestikov, you know, he was going to be gone in about a year or two. In regards to the in regards to the Eric Stahl trade. OK, Um Oh, by Again. the way, I think Ryan Johansson just scored for Colorado. Yeah, he just did. Yeah. It was actually a pretty nice it was a pretty nice goal. So yeah, it was a backhand. He was going to the side of the net. He was <laughs> a bit off angle. Yeah. So hey, maybe that might make the bounty a little bit more. Um, 
So in, in regards to the Eric Stahl trade, this might be considered unpopular. I actually liked it at the time being. <laughs> and this is the reason why I liked it. I didn't, you know, if there's one thing you'll know about me, I am probably the most optimistic person you'll ever find. And I just remember sitting in the back of my church one day, you know, because I was a music guy, and I looked at my phone and I saw that they had made a trade and they traded this Alexi Sorella guy. And I think a first round pick for Eric Stahl, Eric Stahl. Great. This guy, you know, he could play center, you know, his brother's on the team. Like I, I ate it all up, you know, for the reasons that Becky and, and you Rob despised it is I ate up. I ate it up, you know, well, the jerseys came out with the M dot stall and the E dot stall, which I almost ended up buying one. You know, I still might do it just to kind of, you know, get some people angry. But because um, <laughs> I actually like the way it looks on the back of a jersey. Um, but what ended up happening was, is you know, again, like you guys mentioned, you look back at it now and then you started to see it towards the end of the season. That team was not good. <laughs> you know, they were that was probably the worst 100 point team I've ever seen. You know, they, yeah. they were they were just and then it frauds. didn't help that. Yeah, and then it yeah, they were frauds, you know, Victor Stahlberg and freaking Emerson Edom. Well, you they know, were just, Jason... they were they were propped up by by Lundquist. That was Lundquist was incredible that whole year and Right. they were just that was all. That was it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they he was the whole team. Yeah. So, and then you know, AV not using Gandal and Stahl properly, you know, which and then, you know, like you guys said, he goes to Montreal and Minnesota and absolutely kills it, which just, you know, burned my blood, you know. Um but I actually did like that trade when it happened. Um, what was the other trade? Uh, the Ole Okunin trade. <laughs> I I was so confused by that because I said, well, "Where are we going to put him?" <laughs> you know, I mean, I think Chris Drury was wasn't as hurt on that team that year, and I'm just trying to remember, like, where are we going to put him? What is what does he do? What does he do exactly? Like I know he was a good player, but it's like where are we gonna put him? And funny enough, um, I remember the the day that I actually didn't see the shootout. Um, I was actually that was uh, I went to Modell's in at the end of the third period. Uh, I went to Modell's. I got hockey sticks, straight street hockey sticks. I came back. I had left the TV on here in my room, and then the season was over. So I had to look for the highlight online and just completely see, you know, oh, wow, they're not making the playoffs this year. So I, the, I definitely, you know. The worst thing about that trade to me is the fact that the one, one of the reasons why we got him was because of how good he was in shootouts. Right. And that, Which is amazing <laughs> that that even factored into trades back then because now you would not even consider that at all. Like it was one of the like because I remember people saying like propping him up is he's one of the best shootout men in the league, and so one of the reasons why the Rangers went out and got him was for his shootout prowess, shootout prowess. and and that's where we needed him and that's where he let us down. That's the irony down. refuses yeah. to escape me on that. And and the funny part too is is that you talk about the Rangers looking for you know someone who could be good in the shootout is the only reason why Eric Christensen was the number one center for so long It's because he was just really good at the shootout. It was amazing how good, like outside of Zuccarello he was probably you know the best shootout guy on this team we've seen outside of like Mika and Panarin at this point. And as far as the other deadlines go, you know, um, it, it's. <laughs> It was just it was just a weird time just to see them try to make these moves, you know, and especially that 11, 12, uh, 
that 11 12 deadline you know it, it yeah they they needed more you know i was very disappointed they didn't do much um did they did they actually make a couple trades at that time i, I just wanted it, really, it was it was just john, john scott. scott that was it yep. i feel like yep. they did wow oh my gosh yikes on bikes but yeah that's just my thoughts on that i i, I couldn't really like you know, you mentioned them and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, that that's that's correct, because, you know, I, I start thinking of the, you know, when they let go Zuccarello and this and then the fourth, obviously that needed to happen. The Miller one was, you know, obviously glaring, but, you know, they got a lot of prospects, uh, you know, just within those last couple of years. You could talk about the Grabner trade. You can talk about, you know, the Zuccarello trade uh, and this and that and the fourth. So. um so yeah, that's just my thoughts on that. I'm not going to ramble on too much because the Rangers just give me agita sometimes, at least in the past. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think it's when you're selling, especially when you're really selling and you're going through a rebuild, like it's just volume. You just want as many picks and prospects as possible because you know a lot of it's dart throws. They're not going to pan out, but it's much more consequential when you are surrendering assets to buy talent that you hope will get you over the hump. And look, I mean, just to wrap this up, I've been very impressed with Chris Jury's ability to identify what the team needs. He's shown that he can do that in all, in both deadlines that he's overseen now. Um, and, and clearly the needs are, are very well defined for this Ranger team. And now it's just a matter of, you know, sticking to your guns in terms of the price, not overpaying, um, should be fascinating. The trade deadline is a week from today. As you listen to this, if you're listening to it on Friday, March 1st, uh, the deadline is Friday, March 8th at, I believe 3 PM. Um, we will have some level of coverage. I, I don't know if we're going to do a regular pod. I don't know if we're going to do something live, perhaps, you know, what that kind of depend on people's availabilities and, and all that. But we will we will let you all know um, how live from the Blue Seats and Blue Seat Blogs will be covering the 2024 NHL trade deadline. Um, we're really looking forward to it, though. Uh, it's been some of our most fun shows. I know we've done a couple of Twitter spaces and things like that in years past. Um, so we shall see, and we'll let you know, um, guys, any quick final thoughts before we, uh, before we get out of here, this is the last pod before the trade deadline. So that's that in and of itself feels like a milestone. I I was going to say, do we have any final predictions on, on, on the deadline and who the Rangers are going to get? Cause I, I I have two. I I say, well, here, let me, I'll go first. I'll I'll, I'll let you, I know. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be somebody like um, uh, Wenberg. I think Wenberg probably happens instead of Henrique and um, maybe like a Jason Zucker or somebody from like, that's not as high on the radar. Riley Smith is my like uh, off the board pipe dream, which I think is like, has like a 12% chance of happening. Um, So those are my three names. Oh, and they'll get, they're going to get a defenseman. This is the other thing. No one's talking about this. Maybe it's like Jeremy Lozon. It's going to be somebody who's like a six seven D, but they're going to get a defenseman too. I, I do not see them going into the playoffs with this six plus Zach Jones and Connor Mackey. So I think they're going to trade for a defenseman as well. I I think Zach Jones will be on another roster. I think he gets traded at the deadline. Um, so I think it'll be Henrique. If it's not Adam Henrique. It's either going to be Tommy Novak or Nick Bukestad as a bottom six center. And then for the first line, Vladdy Tarasenko's a pipe dream because they can't absorb his $5 million. 
And then, so I think it'll be for Right Wing One. I'm bring, I'm manifesting it. I want the Duke back on Broadway. Bring me back Anthony Duclair. So I think it'll either be Duclair. It'll be some combination of Duclair, Henrique, or Duclair, um, or Bruchad. Yeah. Hmm. JL, final prediction. I'm not really one to make predictions, but I'll do it for the sake of this uh, for this conversation because I'm almost always wrong. Um, you talked me into it, Rob. I think it's going to be Riley Smith. Um, I feel like Riley Smith's name has been connected with the Rangers for some time now, and it would also just be pretty interesting to have another, you know, quasi brother duo on the team. You know, one played for them and one another one played for them at one point. Um, they, yeah, they're definitely going to get a defenseman. Um, I just the defenseman one's a little harder, so I can't really speak to that too much because no, if you know, could how, be anybody. Like there's just the yeah. league's littered with guys you could trade like a fifth round pick for for a six or so. Yeah, that's that's not right. even worth throwing a name out. It's just like, like insert name here. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and then I think the center. I think I think the center is going to be Henrique. You know, and, and as predictable as that is, you know, there's you know when there's smoke, there's fire. I don't think Vitrano gets traded here again just due to the fact that he has term unless Anaheim really eats up a lot of cap, at least on that on that uh on that deal. So I think it's gonna be Henrique, uh Riley Smith. Jason Zucker is another name too, which I really like. Uh, I think that would actually be pretty good because he's definitely got some grit to him. But either either or and some defenseman not named Ben Harper. <laughs> All right. Those are the predictions. We'll see how it all pans out. Uh, again, covering it all on the blog, covering it all here on the podcast. Uh, as always, thanks everybody for listening to Live from the Blue Seats, and we will catch you next week.